Welcome back, everybody, to what is, can you believe, episode 60 of the Dawson D Show. Thank you to everyone who has supported us along the way. If you could do us a huge favor and leave us a five-star review, it would go a long way to getting this message out to a wider audience. Now, on today's show, we were joined by five-time best-selling author, keynote speaker, and stock trading mentor and expert, Louise Bedford. Louise's story alone is one of inspiration. Louise was the youngest manager at a multinational company and killing it in her career. When an unexplained tendon condition suddenly came into her life and made everyday tasks incredibly difficult without the use of her hands. She was slowly squeezed out of her job and her quality of life had suffered, but since then has been able to overcome her hardships and go on to achieve great things in the business world, the stock market, and of course, her personal life. Louise shares with us some great life advice that you don't hear at school. We talk about why it's important to make your money work for you, having an investment plan, multiple streams of income, and how much you should aim for when saving money. Louise's expertise are in the stock market though, and she gives us some great pointers on how to and why we should all get started. We talk about reading candlestick charts, when to buy and sell, long-term, short-term, and day trading, and so much more. Whether you're interested in investing or not, Louise will inspire you on your own journey, but we think this episode will excite you enough to dip your toe in as there's just so much possibility out there. Enjoy the episode, guys. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy, and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs, and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. Dosh, are you ready to potentially have your life changed today by having some new techniques learned? I'm very, very open to that, mate, very like we both always are. Mate, we are, we are keen to learn and we will learn a lot today. So as the intro would have said, today's very special guest is Louise Bedford. Louise, welcome to the Dawson D Show. It's so good to be here. We are so excited to, uh, to have you on our show. I came across Louise via reading her book, which taught me a lot, and we're going to dive right into that shortly. But Louise, a lot of our audience, they're 18 to 30-year-old people. We have a wide range, but... For the 18 to 30 year old, why is it important to have an investment plan? Let's start there. Ah, look, you know, when you're younger, you think everything's going to be perfect. I did. When I started in my corporate career, I just could imagine climbing that corporate ladder and everything going according to plan and eventually I'd take over the world. Unfortunately, though, for me, it didn't quite work out that way and I needed to have a side income because after about six years in my role, so I'd only worked six years full time, I ended up having a health problem. It meant I couldn't work again. And unfortunately, there goes my dreams, my, my future, everything that I dreamt that could occur for me at a younger age with that whole taking over the world idea had been dashed. So it is a stopgap. It is something that's a side hustle. I think we all need to have multiple sources of income and we all need the ability to say no to a demanding boss if you don't have income coming in on the side, you're going to say yes to everything that they put you through. Nobody wants that. You have to guard your time and guard your focus. I love the use of the word time because our time is probably everyone's greatest asset individually um, and we have a responsibility for ourselves to, to use that wisely. You mentioned your, your health and what happened to you within six years of you being in your corporate industry. Would you be open to maybe sharing a bit more about that and, and what it was? Yeah, sure. So I was literally climbing the ladder 
it was fantastic. I worked for a big multinational, an American company. I was the youngest national manager that, that employed and it was so exciting. I did a couple of degrees before that and I used that, but really it's nothing like on the job training, is it? So I had a couple of problems with my hand. It was actually April 1st, I remember, April 1st, 1995, and I started getting a bit of a pain. And then within two weeks, by the end of April, this thing had gone right up one arm and right down the other. And it was so painful. I couldn't move my arms. The corporate job that I had, they didn't want me anymore, but they had to find a way to ease me out because they can't just sack somebody who's suddenly disabled, can they? So they made things very difficult, very difficult. I hated it. I hated going to all the doctor's appointments that they made me go to to check that it was real. I hated the lack of power, the feeling that my future was slipping away and knowing that some of the other people that I was working with were kind of barracking for me in the wrong direction. You know, it's not like mates cheering each other on. Sometimes in the corporate world, people are actually happy when bad things happen to you so they can get into your role. Yeah, it's such or a they, competition, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, people encroach on each other's domain. So... I went from needing to have my own independence to being fully dependent because I couldn't move my arms for about three years and I had to regain the use of my body again and, you know, a job didn't form a part of that. So luckily I was trading alongside when that happened and I'd already worked out how to make money out of the markets. I was with trepidation but quite excited to leave that job, I remember my husband that final day when I walked out of that office, he was carrying this brown box full of all of my papers and all the things that you have in your office. And I jumped up and I clicked my heels and I said, that's it. I'm never going back ever, ever, ever. So <laughs> I, me of school. <laughs> it was exciting. Yeah, it was actually. It was terrifying, don't get me wrong, but it was also exciting because I just felt with trading, it opened up a future where I didn't need every part of my body. I could just use my brain and I could work out how to suck money out of the markets. And that was what I wanted and it was great. So it gave me time to recover. It let me meet people that I never would have met before. And of course, it opened up the option for me to be able to write five best-selling books, which I never would have done before if I had have stayed in my career. Can you talk, just before we get into the nitty-gritty of trading, which we're both very excited to talk about, what other areas of your life were impacted by the disability? And can you talk, tell uh, yeah. us through that journey and the rehabilitation? Because I know I find that part really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Almost every area was impacted. I mean, just even to get movement back, because we take it for granted that we'll be well. We really do. And even now, sometimes I can unload a full dishwasher myself now and I'm so excited. The dishwasher to me is just like a, a memory of just incremental pain of years before I could get the full dishwasher unloaded. I joined up the Harold Holt swimming pool, which isn't that far from where you guys are, and I 
joined with a group of people with other disabilities in the hydrotherapy pool for our physiotherapy lessons. And it really snatched me back to reality. I met people there that were missing limbs, people without vision, people with multiple injuries, often from car accidents, things that have been inflicted on them from the outside where they didn't feel like they were in control anymore. And it firstly stopped me from feeling sorry for myself because self-pity, oh my gosh, it was very much within me at that stage. But it also gave me the chance to be able to tell my story to people who were in a similar situation and some of them have become full-time traders and they've been able to get off their disability payments which has just been so rewarding it's been wonderful to see what time can do and focus so when you say full-time trader and i'm not the only one i'm sure what's a full-time trader i'm sure a lot of listeners are going well what what do they do full-time you know all day at the computer what is it you know look actually for the people that are thinking that it's all all the time at your computer, you, you can't really do that as a full-time trader because you'll go nuts. You will burn out really quickly and it won't help your trading results. The idea with a full-time trader is that you're making an income aside from your other job. So that's what I always think of as the beginning where with my husband and I at that stage, we said if we can earn a full-time income aside from our two jobs it's like three people earning money when there's only the two of us you know how how magic is that so a full-time trader just means that they've ditched their day job and that they're living off the markets and i love that as a goal you don't have to do that you can keep on working for like a corporate role or whatever your job is but having that extra income on the side opens up opportunities and choices and that's really what i think the name of the game should be i was actually nervous about interviewing you at this time of the day because obviously the markets are open i was wondering i don't know if you've got a little screen on the side and you're watching the candlesticks go over (laughs) but can you tell us your personal journey because What fascinates me, I would love what you've just said and that would be an awesome goal for myself. So how do you start from working a job and trading on the side? Can you tell us your journey from dabbling to increasing it before you can actually go full time? Yeah, well, that is really important to plan out what you're going to be doing. I think a lot of people jump into full-time trading because they've had a few wins on the crypto market (laughs) and then they don't realise that has to keep on going and going. Now, if you think of the way that people approach trading, there's two major strings. One is wealth creation and then one is income. Now, income is always quite tricky with trading because you don't want to sell out of something that's going up because you need to eat. So you do need that wealth creation component as well. So for me, when I was in a a real job, (laughs) in inverted commas, I was with one of my sales reps, Glenn, and he just, he was a belligerent, arrogant, well-dressed Armani suit wearing type of guy. And... I didn't really like him very much at all, to be honest, but I did respect his attitude because I kind of went, heck, you know, he's kind of really a standalone type of person. He's not really subject to a lot of the emotional things that happen in an office. And I quizzed him about it and I said, Glenn, you know, what are you doing here? Because you've got a very different attitude. And he said, it's not like I need to work. 
And I went, wow. what? You know, what, what are you talking about? Of course, everybody needs to work. And I was trading at this time too. It just hadn't connected for me that somebody could earn so much out of the markets that every other aspect of their life could be impacted. He said, well, I'm earning enough out of trading. I went, oh, my God. So it did open up my mind. It made me realise that, firstly, you don't have to be 45 to retire. You don't have to be 80 to retire. I mean, things are getting older and older, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. You, can, you can actually earn money on the side and it can give you choices much earlier on. And if, as we're told, we're told now that we're going to have between three and 17 careers, complete changes of career in our time where you need training in between before you go up to a high salary again then you get out of that job training again high salary training so you're going to have big gaps in your career where you need to be able to fund yourself anybody who's been retrenched knows that that is the case and having trading alongside that where while you're retraining for another role, your trading can actually earn you money. It's a great way to be. You know, there's multiple different roles you could have throughout your life. And this is not along the trading side of questioning, but I'd love to hear your answer because of the listeners listening. When you're coming out of school, right, we get asked the question, what do you want to do? I'd be intrigued to hear your answer because I personally don't think anyone knows what they want to do straight after school because... Like you said, you know, yeah, you end up changing jobs and trying different things. Yeah, yeah. Full-grown adults don't know what they want to do. Yeah. You know, my clients in their 50s and 60s and 70s, they don't know what they want to do. I think it's actually not a very empowering question. I think a, a more, more polite question is what skills do you want to build? Now, if you think of it in terms of building skills that act like a block structure so that you have a big foundation to your future choices, I think that is a better way to go. You know, back, I mean, I'm, I'm 52. Back when I went to school, I was given career advice that you should either become, wait for it, a teacher, a nurse, or a nun. Oh, hey. nun. So three career options. You know, these days there's so many different different ways to approach things. So build your skill sets. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I want to support the two of you because you are actively building your skill set blocks. You know, you're presenting, you're networking, you're making contacts that could last you a lifetime. That's what I want to see you do and for you to continue to encourage others to do that. That's going to mean you have the world open to you. So much scope. Thank you so Thank much. You, that, that means a lot, honestly. And um, well, I'm glad we're not calling you sister, by the way. I'm glad you go to another. <laughs> but um, I'm really interested because what resonated with me too, because this is how I feel sometimes. I'm like, wouldn't it be great if I could have that? And I think a lot of people feel this way. That one stock or that one crypto, we use a term, it's going to go to the moon. Yeah. And that's it. We're buying Lamborghinis and we're living, living in mansions. Yeah, yeah. Barbados and everything's good. But then you think, okay, imagine if that did happen, hypothetically, and in the, in the small chance that it would, then what do you do? Then how do you make yeah. an income from yeah. there, which interests me. So can you talk a little bit, Louise? I know my sister's very big. She's trying to learn, like I told you off air, and she's going down the investment path. She's saying, okay, what does my bank balance look like when I'm 65? And then Doss and I might be looking at each other and going, what can we do in the next year to build an income? So can you talk us through the difference between a day trader and 
an investor and a little bit more about yourself, which, where you fit in. Sure, yeah. So the technical term of a day trader is somebody who closes out their positions at the end of each day. Okay, so there's also short term trading where you can keep the positions going for a bit longer for as long as the trend is available. And there's also medium term and longer term trading. And that's that wealth creation aspect. So most people are attracted like a moth to the flame with short term markets. They love things that are incredibly volatile, that make them think, hey, I'm on top of the world. Look how big my ego is. I made so much money. Now, that's almost the exact opposite about what really makes money. The thing that makes money is detachment from the markets where you are taking a step back. It's like you're a mechanical trader. You are like a little robot. And what you do is you have a written trading plan where it covers your entry, your exit, your position sizing, and you mechanically quit, keep on going with that. You just keep on putting ones in the top end of the funnel. Finally, ones drop out the bottom end of the funnel when your stops are hit. It's probably less glamorous than thinking you're going to own that Lamborghini in two weeks. Mm. I, I do get it. But in terms of longevity in the market, the people who have got that detachment and can look at it Without passion, sure, be passionate for your goals, but don't bring that passion into thinking that you're better than you are and that you can read the market brilliantly. I still feel like a beginner and I started trading in 1990. There's still so much to learn and isn't that good? Yeah. You know, some of the people that I've trained, they're in their 90s. My beautiful Ted who passed away, 98 years old, the last 12 years of that man's life, he was a full-time trader. Wow. wow. I know. How good is that? And I actually saw him the day before he passed away in hospital and I said, Ted, you know, can you give me some life advice? Because oh, what a beautiful man. And he said, don't ever think that you're at the end because you're just not. And I thought, wow, you know, to cherish that advice. And the other thing you said is think about how other people see your situation. And I love that too. You know, right to the end, he had such that magnanimous generosity of spirit. And it's people that are attracted to the markets that have that growth mindset that do very, very well. So I hope that describes your sister and I'm sure your sister will be listening. <laughs> that's, um, that's really beautiful and thank you for sharing that, Louise. That's really nice. Um, and it kind of makes me think as well, I was going to ask about patience and listening there, like you don't know what the other person is going through, right? When it comes to patience in the stock market and trading, why do, why do you think so many of us want the quick fix like like and i understand daniel said like oh we want the materialism and and the, the objects but to me that's not exactly why i think we want it quickly why do you think everyone wants it so quickly and why do we lack patience yeah it's part of the whole caveman brain isn't it yeah oh if you look at the the neurology of the brain in the very middle is the oldest part from an evolutionary perspective of your brain. And as you work your way out in terms of where the brain is and, and 
developing that sort of outer, you know, that weird kind of convoluted look of the brain, the cerebral cortex, all of that is the newest part. That very central part of the brain contains your amygdala and that is emotions, man, emotions. 90 seconds, whoosh, can't you feel it wash over you? Whether it's lust because you see somebody gorgeous, maybe it's greed because you really want what they've got. Maybe it's that, hey, I am hungry, really hungry hungry okay so they're the basic things that keep us alive that's the oldest part of our brain so things like sex okay things like food things like shelter right down the bottom of that Maslow's hierarchy of needs and as we work our way out we get to the cerebral cortex right at the front here and the left is your prefrontal cortex that's your parental control that says don't sleep with that person you could get her pregnant all right, yeah. pretty small in some of us, isn't it? That little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Naming no names. <laughs> so that's the part that's protecting us from making stupid decisions in the short term. It's the part that plans ahead. We think in terms of seasons as people. It's very hard to think past the next season. You know, even right now, if you think we're in lockdown, and people are having trouble remembering what their past life was really like and what their future life could look like because it might be longer than a season away. So I think it's part of people. It's part of humans. We are very short-term focused. We like now, now, now instead of delayed gratification and we translate that to the markets as well. How does a person, I'm thinking of our listeners here, because this is the age-old question, how much money do you need to get started? Or if you're working a full-time job or part-time job, how much should we be putting away each week to invest? And also, too, I'm really interested to hear your take on investing your money versus leaving it in the bank and trying to build this huge sort of savings account, which we're told by our school often to do. We are, aren't we? Isn't it just bizarre? You cannot save your way to financial success. You just can't. Sooner or later, you're going to have to invest it into three vehicles, whether it be the share market, property or business. That is the only way to be able to get ahead. And I do suggest you have a spread into each if you can. Multiple sources of income to protect you if something bad happens. Mm. So I think when we're bringing up our children, we want them to stay safe. We want to protect them from things that could go wrong. Now, the difficulty with that is that doesn't leave a lot of space for creativity, for a risky venture, for let's spread our wings type of concept, does it? Our parents don't necessarily realise that we have within us so much more potential because they want to keep us safe. It's almost the opposite to what we really will get filled up with, what our passion will suggest will be fulfilling for us. You know, that's the thing too. I think we need to have that combination of the both. Now, I'm hoping if you do have little ones listening, I'm about to swear, okay? We're okay with swearing, guys. All right, so there's a thing called fuck you money, okay? So... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we say it every week, Louise, so don't stress <laughs> Good, good, good. Um, so, I'll be using it, yeah. <laughs> So fucking money means that you don't have to say yes to anybody's unreasonable demands. To build that, you need to have a stockpile of money in case there's a little thing like a pandemic. Your first goal 
should be to save so that you've got three months of your salary. Right? That's the start of fuck you money because in general terms, it could take us three months to pick up a new role mm-hmm. and we need that as a buffer. Then the next part of that is to have a year of salary and very few people get to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> very few. So if, you, if you're not there, you're probably in with the majority there. So that's your first goal. How much should you be saving? It's so hard to tell. I would like to see a minimum of 20%. And every time you get a pay rise, you actually don't keep that pay rise in with the rest of your money. You quarantine it. You pay off your debts in terms of your credit cards. If you've got anything at high interest, pay that off first. Start with the smallest balance this is going to go opposite to what a lot of people say okay but from human psychology it works pay off your smallest balance first and then get rid of that credit card smash it then pay off the next pay off the next then you feel like you've only got one debt to pay off for example yeah that's much more gratifying for the human psyche than thinking you have 15 of these babies yeah so eat baked beans Yep. Do whatever you can to use that opposite of that evolutionary mind. Be longer term focused than three months. Be longer term focused. It'll put you in such good stead. You'll be ahead of all of your peers. And what's more is you'll carry that throughout the ages. You'll be able to take that attitude right the way through to your 50s, 60s, 90s. You mentioned just before, Dee, about putting your money in a bank account and it's, what, it's really the only thing we're really taught is save your money, hoping it builds up for the rest of your life. And like you said, Louise, like that's just not how you get ahead. The point one interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to relate it back to um, materialism again and I guess with debt. So one thing we're taught is to put our money away in the bank account and that's great. But one thing where I've always been like, all I've seen it through different people I know is get a car loan, pay off the car loan get a mortgage, pay off the mortgage, get a loan for your university study, get a loan. Like it's the just cycle. it's just debt on debt on debt and it's all that everyone is taught, which it's it frustrates me because so many people are behind because this is all they've been taught. I, I just would love to hear your take on debt and, and I guess the impact it, it has on, especially for our listeners as young people. Mm, yeah, it's a really good question. I think we have to differentiate in terms of types of debt. So the debt that I'd love to see everybody get more involved with is appreciating assets. Yes, love it. Having a debt with an appreciating asset, that is, in my view, where you want to be. If it's a depreciating asset and you've got debt, then you're in trouble. So let's think about it appreciating assets. An appreciating asset would be property. It would be the share market. It would be your education a depreciating asset is something like a car. You're very rarely going to sell a car for more than you bought it for. You're just not. So never buy a new car, buy a secondhand car. So somebody else has taken that depreciation out for you. And if possible, do what you can to make as much of that payment in cash. It's going to only ever drop. So you're actually kissing money goodbye if you're investing in depreciating assets. It's really important with that. Like I think a lot of us aren't prepared to do a bit of sacrifice these days, but that is how you actually do get ahead. You know, you guys are putting this podcast together for free. You are bankrolling it yourself. That is 
showing a remarkable amount of foresight, more people need to back themselves with their own education, their own career, and getting involved in things that are going to go up in value. That's awesome. Lovely answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I love about the podcast is sometimes it just goes in totally different directions, and I'm just, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm just really enjoying this this chat. Can you share a, a story about yourself in terms of? I would love to know from your point of view your best day that you can remember on the stock market and your worst day. And because I would love to get, I know you've got the psychology background, but I want to, I want to know how you manage if you do to stay cool when things are going up or things are going down. Sure. Yeah. Look, the worst day, the one that springs to mind, this is, it's probably not that drastic when I actually describe it to you, but at the time it hit me, it hit me so hard. I'd left my job. I was still struggling with my hands and with my arms, lots of physio, and I had got involved in the options market. Now with the options market, you can, you can do quite well out of it, but it was very early on, and remember, I never knew if I was going to move again. I, I did have this sneaking suspicion that this is my life now. I'm going to need someone to take me to the toilet. You know, that's just it for forever. I made a loss on an option trade. I'll tell you how much the loss was. $238.40. <laughs> so it wasn't drastic, but it hit me like, just a plank of wood. I howled. I cried. I made inhuman animal sounds under my doona. It was like somebody had stabbed me. Honestly, if there was a neighbour walking past, I, they really should have reported it to the police. <laughs> it was just so animal. And by the time I'd kind of had it washed out of my system, then it dawned on me that it's under $300. But at the, <laughs> at the time, <laughs> it was such a overwhelming feeling because I projected myself into the future. I thought, I'm never going to be able to do it. I'll never find another job. I can't trade. I thought I could trade. I can't trade. And that feeling of failure, that was the thing that got me. <laughs> Yes. So my best day, I don't think I've had it yet in the markets. Great um, answer. Awesome. I don't know. Like when I look at in terms of the wins, sometimes I, I forget the trades that have actually made me money. We'll bring up a chart when I'm in front of people and I'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. I seem to remember that one and I'll check and I've been in it and I've made money out of it. But it's almost like I haven't retained it. I don't mind that, having that bit of the short-term memory loss in terms of wins because it keeps you innocent. It keeps you naive and I think that's a good thing in the markets. I'd love to know how you learnt all of this. Yeah. Like it yeah. seems as though you probably started it before well, where technology is now, D and I can jump on YouTube and we can probably find you on Google. You know, there, there's tips and tricks that everyone, which more the reason is there's no excuse for everyone else out there that wants to start a new skill. You know, there's opportunities galore. But how did you find your, I guess, knack? Yeah, in yeah. Look, my attention was first peaked when in, gosh, I know this sounds, it's like last century, in 1985 when I was, 16, 15 or so, I moved into 
a brand new house. We had water out the front. We bought a new boat. We had a Bose sound system that was like new clothes for me and my sisters and my mum. And it was all because dad made a gold trade that came off big time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we went from being quite poor to being really, you know, quite, quite well off. It was, it turned my head. So how did I learn how to do it? I looked at that and that inspired me. And then I found mentors and people who believed in me and who cared for me to be able to encourage me. And they came from all walks of life. I mean, one of them came from my corporate career. Others were friends of friends. And bit by bit, I started to realise that, hey, I think I'm destined for more. So from a broader extent, I think that growth came from the outside before I internalised it. And in terms of learning about the share market, I found a broker back then. It was actually a human a human broker. I know. They did. They <laughs> Still I've never exist. dealt with one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he said to me, oh, look, I don't know much about trading, but I think you don't either. Why don't we learn together with your money? Oh, great. <laughs> and like I thought, a that's a fantastic deal. opportunity. <laughs> I've got a running mate. <laughs> so, yeah, we learned together. I knew that stop losses were important. I asked him finally after losing money month after month, please introduce me to somebody who's making money and make it a woman, for goodness sake. All these guys in the markets, what the hell, it's a bit different now, but back then. And he introduced me to a client of his. She lived in a huge mansion in Brighton. I went around and I had a little box of cookies to give her as a peace offering. I knocked on the door, these massive cathedral doors. She opened the doors, three little poodles ran out. (laughs) (laughs) And as I walked in the door and she shut the door, behind her, I realised I haven't even given anybody the address. I'm going to be murdered. Oh, no. It just struck me as a haunted house, you know. So she took me through to her office and she actually said, why are you here? You know, I don't even know why I said yes to having you in my home. And I said, please show me the secrets of the markets. Impart your wisdom to me. And she screamed at me so that my hair blew back. She said, do you use candlesticks? (laughs) Like what in the hell are candlesticks? I mean, since then I've written a book on them. (laughs) But at the time I had no idea that they were actually tools with the market. So they were the ability to read emotions of the people trading. And she showed me her office. She was hand drawing charts. I was extremely excited that somebody was making that much money. And I left and I ordered a book from America. They sent it over to Austria because Australia didn't exist. Oh, no. (laughs) I paid an extra $100 to FedEx to get it to Australia. So, so far it's $200 in career fees and it was a $300 book. Oh, my God. So that was my beginning. I read this book. It was so exciting. I was, to say that I was jumping out of my skin, I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you how excited I was. So I got my start from that book and there was lots of hit and miss and lots of mistakes that I know your your people, when they're starting in the market, will never have to make because they can rely on things like reading a book that's written in Australia for them. Yeah. We'll jump into, I would love to talk about, I guess, the methods that you attained to overcome those mistakes. But you mentioned mentors and that is something both, mm. both of us are really big on is um, my dad used to talk about the sphere of influence, you know, surround yes. yourself 
with this sphere of influence, whether it's a person in finance, an accountant, someone in relationships, faith. fitness, faith, spirituality, business. In your words, what is a mentor and why is it so important to surround yourself with a, a, a good group of people? And I think it's good that you've mentioned that can come from different areas and you don't need an overall mentor. You can sometimes pick and choose depending yep. on, yeah. Look, a mentor is somebody who's further ahead than you are and who has some level of aspiration for you. You want to be like them in some way. It's not every way, just some way. And someone who's also willing to impart their knowledge. So for me, where I started out with mentoring, it was that group of people in the pool. You know, we called ourselves the mutants, missing limbs. One guy was, I don't know what had happened. He was missing half his face. It's just like beyond beyond that which you can even imagine these people were dealing with things and they let me into their lives so that I could show them how to make money and that to me is absolutely thrilling so I got hooked loved it wanted more and I have definitely over the years achieved more so even with my mentor program I've been running my mentor program this will be my 22nd year wow. of running my mentor program where I look after traders making sure that they know the ins and outs of the market and that they can make money regardless of market conditions and that is where I light up well, let's start talking about that. Let's get into the nitty gritty of, of the markets. This is something I'm really interested in. And I know for a lot of people, it's probably very daunting that, you know, they want to get involved. But I love your method. You talked about the emotions of the market. So let's talk candlesticks. What's the easiest way to describe that for a beginner? There's my book, The Secret of Candlestick Tarting. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's a Japanese technique. The guy that came up with it, 300 years ago, Homer, he recorded the rice bale prices and it's a similar thing to what he does. It's, it's pictures drawn of people's emotions and it's putting those pictures together based on who's, who's putting money into the markets and who's taking it out. So if you've got loads of green candles, that's the colour of growth and that means the share market's going up. If you've got lots of red candles, that's the colour of blood. It means funds are leaking out of the market. And way back when, 1997, I think it was, that I put my first book out, they wouldn't let me write about candles back then. They wanted me to write about options because back then options were the flavour of the month. And they said, if you have a good sales in process before you launch you know they have to sell the books into the bookshops if you get a good sales in then you can write your candles book and we'll back you gosh so yeah i mean now everybody uses candlestick charts i'm really happy to have been the one to bring it to australia this might seem like a silly question but when should when should you buy you know because the you know it's up and down like you're saying you know red green there's all all these different colors what do i when does a person buy when other people are buying. <laughs> yeah. I love that you say that, Louise, so, because we're often taught that you've got to wait for it to bottom out. That's the I thing know, I but how do you know when the bottom is? You know, there's so many that, like, you know, a few years ago there was a share called HIH and it literally was in the healthcare industry and it went down and down and down until it was like a heartbeat. It went beep and it was dead, man, dead. So you don't want to be trying to choose the timing in terms of trying to pick a bottom. You want to actually be involved in a share that's already going up. People are already believing in it. 
and it's got that groundswell of, hey, let's everybody get involved because momentum drives momentum. So if it's already going up, there's some signals you can use. You can use indicators like a moving average where the share prices can be above the moving average and you can use things in my trading plan template which you can get from my website, tradinggame.com.au. That will help you because I've got a five-part e-course that will help you with questions like this and my own trading plan template so that you can see what you need to consider before you get involved in the markets. We'll, uh, we'll put all this in our show notes as well so people can get it instantaneously. Also too, I want to talk about when to take your money out because greed is a big factor and I know that one of the old sayings in the in the stock market and it's so important, it's, it's not when you make a profit, it's when you take the loss early. So I'd love to just yeah, dive into that aspect and how do you know yeah. when to, to take it's that so loss? It's so true. You know, there's really the three main components of a trading plan, your entry, your exit and your position sizing. So definitely talking about entry, which we've just done, your exit has to be very closely guarded. If you don't know anything about the share market, the easiest exit that you can make is a percent drawdown. So that means that if your equity, if you're, if you're, money in the market drops by a certain percentage, then you exit. So in a particular share, if you lose 25% from the, the high, from the most you've made, you have to get out. You have to get out. That's one of the easiest things to do. And that goes for fund managers too. If you've got your money with a fund manager because you're not confident enough to do it for yourself and that fund manager loses 25%, Run, <laughs> run away from them. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. When a loss is to happen, say Louise, how does someone not get overawed? Like, do you have any kind of mental type tips or ways that even just like a little reminder to people, you know, what, what should they think? Yeah, look, the thing that I usually do is I say next. So that next theory, it also works for dating. Yeah, that's Great analogy. By the way. <laughs> there's always another one. That's horrible. There is. But there's, there's, if it's not meant to be, then, hey, there'll be a next. There'll be a next for you. And that's okay, you know. I think the difficulty is when we start falling in love with a share, when we think, oh, my gosh, this is the one for me, and everything in our ego is tied to that one position. That's a very dangerous place to be. The share doesn't know you exist. You know, it's not loving you back. Mm. <sighs> mm. That's true. Because uh, I'd be interested too. Like, I mean, I don't know. There'd probably be no way to know this. How much of the stock market is actually amateur people versus professional people, if that's even a term. But what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make on a day-to-day -day basis and people you've worked with? I'm just interested to, to know what are the common mistakes people make. Yeah. Look, one of the difficulties with my mentor program, because it's a repeat for free course, I get to hang out with people that I've trained for, you know, decades. One of the, yeah, one of the things that I've noticed is that the traders that come out when everything's easy, when it's like a bull market, they're the ones who flop later. It's really interesting that they don't have that baptism of fire and it seems to make them think that they're invincible. You know, why should they take this loss? Heck, they, they mustn't be destined for this and so they quit. 
you see. So a little bit of hurt, a little bit of pain helps build that muscle. And that's a good thing. And that's why you want to keep your losses very small and make your profits very big. And that keeping those losses small seems to have an impact on your psyche. I know I look like a bit of a marshmallow, but I'm, I'm actually really quite bulletproof when it comes to people's criticism, when it comes to negative, when it comes to people telling me that I don't know what I'm doing because only because of trading. Because it's I've had so many buffets, so many hits. Yeah. It's it's almost like I don't really care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of resilience has been, you know, built over the journey by the sounds. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Like I did mention I'll just mention a bit of criticism that I got. I mentioned this to a person who helps me and he was just so appalled. So just know in advance that I'm fine with this bit of criticism, okay? I was told on one of my videos, you put out the video and you you hope that you're helping people. One of the bits of criticism was, I wish you'd grow some breasts so that it would give me something to look at other than your huge clown mouth. Oh, was that a comment or someone yeah. directly say that to you? No, a comment. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. So look, can I learn anything from that? No, no. Is it helpful? No, that's not helpful. I'm not going to change a physical attribute about myself because some total stranger tells me to. Now, this is the difficulty that I think we're in with society at the moment Often people haven't built that muscle of resilience because they haven't had those minor knocks. You know, their mum has said, oh, it's okay, it's fine. They've been given awards for just turning up to the netball match. So when it comes to having a harder knock in life, it seems so extreme. If you look at the work of Martin Seligman, he's the father of positive psychology. He studied suicide in 17-year-old males. Now, this is the peak age that males commit suicide. And what he found is that unless kids are presented with lessons to learn, with shocks, with knocks, early on, by the time they hit to 17, it's, do you want to do drugs? Should I have sex? Oh, my gosh, I really think I should learn how to drive. Those big major decisions are all hitting at that age. And if you don't have those little skill building blocks, you can fall off the end, you know. I don't mean to bring the tone of it down, but we're talking about life, aren't we? Yeah. I love that because I just, I literally had a conversation with, um, I'm doing some mentoring for young boys as well and had a chat with a mum the other day and and she was like, so what do you reckon we should do for the first kind of week? And I said, I think the importance is he's 16 and he's gone through this new phase and you're working everything out. And I said, values, you know, if you can, if you can create a list of values and what's important to you, your decision making normally comes back to your values, doesn't it? Absolutely. And one of your values is impact. Mm. I love that because that is also broad enough so that you can appeal to different areas, you know, but you know, you want to make an impact. So one of mine is in a similar way to inspire by leading by example. Like, I don't want to be famous for the sake of being famous. I want to have done it first and for people to follow because I've achieved whatever the goal is. And in this situation, we're talking about trading. 
So that is a really important part of being drawn forward instead of getting stuck. Wow. I'm enjoying this so much. I'm just, really, <laughs> I'm just getting so much out of yeah. this outside of the trading stuff. There's just so much to – I really I really resonate with that as well, Louise. I think we're cradled too much. I mean, I know there's this – you know, who makes these decisions? I mean, we're big into our sport. We've grown up playing footy and now there's this whole conversation about not scoring because it can upset kids. But the people <sighs> that are making the decisions have never played sport in their lives. They've, they've yes. got an academic background. But did you ever face criticism – or do you face criticism? Is it hard to tell people you're a day trader or a stock trader? Is it do people that are uneducated view it as gambling? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Actually, the one that really, I mean, this is going back maybe five or six years, so not that long ago, my sister started going out with a new guy, right? Now, the new guy had no idea how things are in my family. Okay, so to give you an example, I've had nieces and nephews, multiple nieces and nephews, go through my mentor program and they're making money out of the share market. Okay, so he was, I know, it's great. I love that. So this man walked into a completely different type of family. Okay, so he started having a go over the Mother's Day dinner table saying, ah, oh, trading is gambling. So insurance. Oh my gosh. All I had to do was stay quiet because my nieces and nephews savaged him. Oh, good. <laughs> Let them speak for you. That's good. So that really, I still think of that and I smile. So I think the thing is a dream is the most fragile when it is first birthed. So once you start something new, people can sense weakness in you and maybe a bit of hesitancy as you try to describe what you're doing in this brave new world way and they go in for the kill. Now, as you become more confident and as you are more sure of yourself, people stop saying stupid things because they know that it's not, they can sense it. It's sort of in the way you carry yourself in your posture that you show that you're not going to give a damn what they think. I wish there was a way to shortcut that. I don't think there necessarily is. That's where if you're in a business meeting and you're about to suggest something, team up an ally first. Make sure you have somebody who will say, hey, that's really interesting, tell me more. Or if you're about to get interrupted, make sure that your ally says, actually, I just want to hear what Daniel was saying. Just a moment, right? And if you use this, your hand, the stop sign, okay? So you're putting out the stop sign to the person interrupting. You're not making eye contact with them so that they're not getting any approval from you. And you keep your eye on the person that you're looking to encourage. That's a fantastic way that you can add support for those in your company, in your team. That's that, such great advice. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. I love that. And I love that because... I had a conversation yesterday it's it's in these moments of conflict whether it's at work or in business and unfortunately a lot of the time people don't like that conflict you know yeah. and we don't know how to handle it and then our say doesn't get said I guess that's it and if you are silenced I mean this is a terrible travesty because something you could have said could have led you all off into a completely new direction we need that level of comfort so that we can actually say something outlandish we're learning so much today, <laughs> getting some awesome life advice. As we draw towards the end of this episode, Louise, I'm interested to hear, because in your book, in the, the first 
chapter or the introduction actually where it talks about your life you you mentioned the the incident you had in the bathroom I'm not sure if you want to share that but you also said that it looked like you weren't going to be able to have kids at one stage and now you have yeah. two kids which is awesome and I want to know as a mother are they investing are you helping them are you letting them just go I'm just interested in in that yeah look you're right I had such an issue with my arms that I never really thought I'd be able to hold a baby, literally to cradle a baby in my arms. And it was devastating. I really did want to be a mother. It wasn't something that I had as something I could let go. You know, some of these things, it's like a splinter in your mind. And the more you try to reject it, the more it jabs in your brain and you actually do want what you want. You know, I think that's really important to recognise. If you keep on suppressing something, it's probably actually not going to make it go away. So I suppressed as much as I could because I just thought I can't be an adequate mother. But it gave me incentive. It gave me incentive to do the exercises, to do the physio, to put up with things that I had to put up with to be able to get movement back. And thank goodness I have got full functioning I mean, I have to watch it from time to time, mind you, so there's preventative things I have to do, but I have got full function of my body again and I've been able to have two fantastic kids, uh, Ryan and Ashley. So Ryan's 18, Ashley's 14, and they, when they were really little, they knew that I couldn't pick them up, so they'd angle themselves so that they could help me get them. They learned things because their mum didn't have quite the abilities that other mums did they learned how to feed themselves super early they learned how to talk really early i think out of self-preservation so all of those things that you think are a disadvantage can be spun around to become an advantage you just have to look hard enough even with my most recent health issue with my voice I couldn't make sounds for nine months and it's taken me two years to be able to learn to speak again. I remember saying, writing down, you know, tapping away on my computer to my husband and I said, one day this will be an advantage. And who knows? Who knows when that day will be for you? Listening to this, if you are going through an awful time, if lockdown's getting you down, if your body isn't cooperating, if your boss has just given you the shits, I get it. I really get it. And one day you will use this pain and flower from it. You can blossom from your pain. I think that's the advantage with a little bit of hindsight. You know, you can't always manage to see it at the time, but down the track you will, you will, my friend. Louise, you are an incredibly inspiring woman and I just want to say thank you. I was going to ask you a question, but that last message you just shared with us was it's just hit home for me and I just want to acknowledge you for being so incredibly brave and um, the courage and the resilience that you've shown throughout your life and and still to this day I just want to say you're an inspiration to so many and and we thank you for your time thank you so much so if you're looking to follow up and get in in touch because I'd love to stay in touch we'd love to come to my website tradinggame.com.au tradinggame.com 
www.thepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepowerofthepow